Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning for WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. In 2007, today's guest, Kara Walker, graduated from Ithaca College. The Massachusetts native began her career in ticket operations with the Boston Celtics. Today, she is the VP of Content Strategy and Marketing with the Boston Celtics. Now, I'm not just reading her resume. There's a very clear point, or at least I hope it should be. Kara started in sales, but today she is a VP in a much different part of the organization. I mentioned sales jobs and customer service roles to people who want to work in sports, and I can watch their face change before my eyes. It's a reflexive reaction that borders between disgust and annoyance. It's like they think I'm insulting them by saying they should look into sales roles rather than be named the GM of their favorite team right out of college. I get it. Everyone has big dreams, and those dreams don't include cold calling people for season tickets or convincing a church group to buy 30 tickets to the Sacramento Kings game in November. I get it. I speak in college classrooms all the time, and I'd guess about 25% of the people want to be sports agents. Ask them why, and they'll say they want to be close to the players, and it looks like fun. Good luck to you. You think it's glamorous being a sports agent? It is not. There are around 830 agents certified by the NFL Players Association, for example, and there are 1,590 active players on 53-man rosters. That is not great odds, but now let's go even further. 75% of the players are represented by just 17% of the agents. A half dozen or so super agents handle all the big players and the big deals. The other 824 agents scrap for what is left. When NFL rosters go down to 53 people at the end of training camp, as many as 300 agents have no active clients at all. Now, let's compare that to jobs in sports sales. For the last 20 years of WorkInSports.com, that's right, we're in our second decade of sports industry domination now, sales jobs have made up about 50% of the roles on our job board. Now, I'll be trans- transparent. Things are a little topsy-turvy right now in the sports industry. The whole global pandemic, no fans, no tickets, has put a damper on jobs and sales. I'm not being flipped, near 200,000 Americans have died in this pandemic, and we think about them all daily. Maybe not specifically, but we think about this terrible situation daily. I'm not making light of it. But sales jobs are lower on our job board than ever before. But we need a little bit of perspective. Sales equates to revenue. Revenue is the number one goal of any business. Sales jobs will return in full force. Matter of fact, I believe they'll return in greater numbers than ever because as sports teams get back to normal and the need to make up for lost revenue is ever present. In the long game of life, the number of sales jobs and opportunities will be in your favor. But I get it, you still aren't convinced. You've been told all your life to do what will make you happy, and sales isn't it. Hey, I understand that. I've never worked in sales. I haven't even been a waiter at a restaurant trying to sell someone a steak dinner, and I turned out okay. 
but I'm not giving up on this. You need to see this truth and understand it. Sales isn't like a life sentence. It's a step inside the building of an organization. And every person who's ever been my boss in this industry, so above me, has a background in revenue generation, has a background in sales. Carol Walker started in ticket operations with the Boston Celtics, one of the most storied franchises in sports. She gave herself an opportunity to prove herself, learn the business, connect herself with revenue generation, build her reputation, and grow from within a premium organization. Now that is a plan. That is a strategy. In two years' time, she was changing departments into content and marketing. She shifted her entire career, but stayed with her top organization where she wanted to be. I can go on and on following the path of opportunity and least resistance, but you need to believe it and buy into it. Now, before we get into this interview, I have to admit three things. Number one, I'm a diehard Boston Celtics fan. I'll be watching them play the heat throughout this series, and we'll see where it takes us. I'd love to see another championship. Number two, I'm a content marketing geek. Number three, this interview originally aired in the fall of 2019. Why am I revealing all these facts? Well, as a Celtics fan and a content marketing geek, I was pretty fired up for this interview and my giddiness may come through a little bit. I just want to preface you all with that. And since the interview originally aired last fall, if there are a couple of references references that sound dated, talking about fan engagement pre-coronavirus, just remember a world where we didn't live in fear. You know, the good old days. All right, let's get to it. Here is Kara Walker, VP of Content Strategy and Marketing for the 17-time, hopefully 18-time, world champion Boston Celtics. Hey, Kara, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. How are you doing, Brian? I am doing great, and I'm super excited to talk to you for a lot of reasons. One is that I'm a Boston guy, so you work for one of my favorite teams of all time. And on top of that, I'm a content geek, so this conversation is one that I'm very excited to have. Excellent. I'm excited, too, and happy to hear that you're uh, a New England fan. We love that. Oh, for sure. I have many great memories of, of times at the Boston Garden and uh, as a kid. So let's talk. Let's jump into this. You've been with the Celtics now for 12 years. You graduated from Ithaca College in 2007. It's pretty impressive. You don't hear this very often that somebody starts out right out of the gate with a pro team like the Celtics. What do you remember most about that hiring process? I imagine it had to be a pretty intense process you had to go through to get hired. What do you remember most? Yeah, it was intense looking back on it. I'm not sure I realized that at the time. Um, You know, I I went to a school where a lot of my friends were in business and finance fields. So I remember a lot of them had jobs lined up in January before we graduated. And I just somehow magically thought that I was going to have a job waiting for me. And so (laughs) I remember waking up the morning after graduation and thinking like, I should probably start applying for something. So um, I knew I wanted to be in New England. And other than that, I was totally flexible within sports. So I sort of applied with every major league, minor league team, college athletic department, um, everywhere that I could think of within New England and was lucky enough to get an interview with the Celtics. Um, At the time, you know, I grew up a big New England sports fan, but really basketball just never was big in my household. So of course I did my research and I could have told you all the stats about the team and everything like that, but I knew the question would come up. And the thing I remember most is being asked in the interview, are you a Celtics fan? And I had that moment of panic. Like, do I try and BS my way through this and say yes? But, um, you know, I ended up telling the interviewer, I said, I'm not a fan um, of basketball, but it won't prevent me from being fantastic at this job. And luckily they bought it and I've learned a lot <laughs> over the years. And, um, you know, I think I was really lucky that I landed where I did because I didn't, you know, I, I of course knew the Celtics were a franchise that had history and tradition and 
it would have been an impossible opportunity to turn down, but I didn't really have any idea how, how lucky I was to be getting my foot in the door here. Yeah, so you started out in ticket operations, and that's a role that so many people who are in the sports industry start out in. And as I've said hundreds of times on the show before, I've had executives that have been my bosses that they weren't really on the content side. Their background was in revenue generation. Their background was in sales. So there's a really high ceiling for these jobs. Looking back on a personal note, how did working on the sales side kind of help set you up for success in your career moving forward? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, being able to understand the revenue side of the business was has been crucial at every step of my career. And I didn't even really know what ticket operations meant when I took the job. Um, but what it ended up being is supporting the sales team. Luckily, I didn't have to do any selling personally. Um, but really, at its core, it was customer service, which I think sales and sports is really about customer service. Almost every role that you have within a sports organization comes down to customer service. And so in that ticket ops role, I was dealing with things like customer finances and ticket printing and that sort of thing. But really it would, the power was when I'd be on the phone with someone because their credit card number had expired and 25 minutes later, we'd still be talking and they were telling me about a game that they came to in the sixties with their dad. And it was like, okay, you know, this is about ticket sales more than anything, but really it's about the relationship that these fans have with this club and this franchise. And I think had I not started in that role, I, I maybe wouldn't have understood the power of that fan relationship and the importance of kind of driving the revenue side of things in order to drive other things that we lead us to, to be able to win championships. For sure. So you start out in sales, but now you've made a complete 180 year on the content and marketing side. Did you start to form this goal or this, this you know, kind of career path while you were in the organization as you kind of figured out where you fit? Or was this something you always kind of had in the back of your mind that I want to eventually end up on the creative side? I, I don't think I had a clear vision. I think that I just really more than anything knew that I wanted to be involved in sports. And through my first role here, like I mentioned, I kind of realized the power of the fan relationship and that sort of became my passion. Um, And then the more that I did within the organization, the more I realized that that sort of left brain, right brain balance was the sweet spot for me. And that's where I could bring value because I could do the, you know, data analysis and I understood the numbers behind it. But at the same time, I also had that desire to be a little bit more creative and to take the data that we had access to and apply it in, in creative ways and meaningful ways that we're going to get fans attention. So I think, um, it just developed over time and really, um, the opportunities just sort of came and tried to take advantage to whatever happened to come up in front of me. I really want to dig into that left brain, right brain part of the creative, because in marketing and in the content strategy, so many people think it's just the creative side, but there's so much that goes into strategy and planning and data analytics and et cetera. We're going to get into that definitely. But I want to go back to this a little bit. So you're in sales, and this is the clunky part for a lot of people. You're in sales. You're in one department within the organization. You're in ticket operations, but you're, you're you're in that field and then you see other opportunities to change into a completely different group. How did that transition kind of work for you? Because I know a lot of people say to me, well, if I start out in sales, am I locked into that? How do I get out of it? If I try to get out of it, do is that make my boss mad and they don't want to, you know, I'm going to get blackballed. Like this is a fear for a lot of people changing yeah. paths within an organization. How did you go about it? Yeah, I think there were two key things for me. I think the first thing was Before I was at the Celtics, I interned with the Pawtucket Red Sox down in Rhode Island, and it was a general marketing internship. There were 15 of us. We did everything from serving beer and wine to ushering people to their seats to working in the front office. And at the end of my summer there, I 
felt like I had worked hard, but there really wasn't any single thing that I did that was that even allowed me to show any really impressive skills. I just sort of showed up every day, did what was asked of me, and tried to do the best I could. And at the end of the summer, they you know, told me in my exit interview that I was one of the best interns they ever had. And it sort of blew my mind because I thought, I don't know what I did to deserve that sort of feedback. And what they told me was, you know, so many people are sort of content to do the job and be mediocre and sort of do the bare minimum. But the only thing I did that set me apart was at the end of every single shift, I could have been there for 10, 12 hours, but I would still, when I got released from whatever department I was in, I would go to the head of every other department and say, is there anything you need before I go? And 95% of the time, the answer was no, but just that little extra initiative really set me apart. And so in my first role here, I just made sure that, you know, whenever I didn't have something to do, when my managers were too busy to kind of start me on a new project, I would just go around to other department heads with the okay of my boss and say, like, is there anything I can do for you? So that really was what opened the door for me to working for my current boss, um, who I've worked for for 10 plus of my 12 years here. Um, and really just kind of offering to help him with whatever he had going on opened up new opportunities for me. And along the way, I've been really lucky. It's one of my favorite parts of working for the Celtics is that if there's something that you want to take on your plate, if there's an opportunity that you see for the organization that we're not taking advantage of, no one's going to stop you from doing that. So I've just always tried to take on a little bit more, recognize opportunities, and that sort of indirectly led me from ticket operations to what was then strategic marketing um, and now is marketing and content strategy. See, I love this approach. I mean, not only did you identify an organization that you wanted to be with or a team in the area, and then you got in there and you started to prove yourself and you started to look for opportunities and you you took on op, uh, extra and made yourself available. And that's what a lot of time makes opportunities come up and makes them present themselves and gives you an opportunity to do something different or to change in your role. So it's great that you took that advantage that you had and, and put it to use. Let's dig into the content side a little bit because I am a content geek. This is what I've done my entire career. The content and marketing side of the operation, your title is VP of content strategy and marketing, which means I could probably list off 30 different things that you are involved with and have your fingers in and have to deal with and handle and whatever throughout the day. But why don't you give us a little bit of a snapshot into your life? I know no two days are the same. I know there's different seasonality and things you have to deal with, but what is kind of the over-encompassing goal? of your role and what does your day-to-day kind of look like? Yeah, I think um, it's a little bit ironic because I sort of separate my role into two different parts, the content strategy and the marketing, which is a little funny because at this point, more and more every day, we sort of see marketing and content as one and the same. So they're really, you know, the same thing, but I try and separate them out um, really just kind of to manage the different parts of my job because I do juggle a lot. So on the marketing side, I boil it down to our two main responsibilities are to grow and protect the Celtics brand and grow and protect our relationship with our fans. So on that side, it's everything from social media to email marketing to paid advertising to general fan engagement. Um, And then on the content strategy side of things, we almost view ourselves as an internal consulting agency. So my goal really is to facilitate collaboration between all departments in the organization. So that's everything from ideation to creation of content to distribution and even taking it a step further and getting that content sold to corporate partners, monetizing it. Um, So I think that, you know, on, on the content side, it's really that full scope and the strategy is really the key to all that. It's how are we
are we going to produce great content with very strategic goals in mind? And we're not producing content just for the sake of it. We're really trying to figure out what's the purpose of this? Who are we delivering this content to? What's the end goal? And how are we going to measure the success of that content? Yeah, it's so important to know your different brand personas and who you're trying to attract and what this message is for. I'd also imagine in your role in content, you cross over a lot. There's a lot of cross functionality where you're dealing with a lot of different teams within the within the depart within the organization, whether it's sales or marketing or promotions or you know customer service, whoever else. You're you're touching all of those things because they all have different needs and all different things that kind of come back to content in a way. How important is it to build those relationships and have strong interconnected groups within an organization? It's crucial. Yeah. When we, um, when I took on the content strategy part of my role a few years ago, there was a lot of consideration of bringing someone in from the outside to handle content strategy. And really the case that my bosses and I made to our team president was, you know, I've been here for a long time. I've established those relationships and that's what's going to lead to success because everyone wants a piece of content. It's really the the kind of buzzy topic right now. Um, but it's important to make sure that the organization's best interest is at the core of everything we're doing and to make sure that everyone's um, needs are fulfilled with every decision that we're making. So you're not going to please everyone all the time, but it's really important to be looking at things from a holistic perspective and earning that internal trust to say, okay, look, we're not going with what you want this time or the content that you want to produce or whatever the case may be, but we're doing this for a reason. And, you know, the next time maybe you'll get, um, you know, what you're looking for out of our content group. So I think having that communication and that collaboration is the absolute most important factor in me being able to be successful in my job. Often people think of content as an in the moment type decision, right? So there's some of that, of course, there's some tweets that happen in the moment or videos that are shared in the moment or content that's produced quickly in the moment. But there's also a ton of planning and strategy that goes, I almost said strategizing, um, strategy that goes into coverage of a team like the Celtics. How much, how much time do you spend planning months ahead versus setting up systems to be reactive in the moment? Tons, tons of time planning. We talk a lot here about preparing to be spontaneous. So those in the moment things only can happen if we're buttoned up and organized enough to set ourselves up to be successful in that moment. So we spend a good portion of our off season just planning the calendar for the entire year. We have a content calendar that is from August to next July, um, and that factors in every potential storyline, every NBA initiative, every game. Um, and so we have everything on the calendar, and then we're ready to just move things around like crazy. So we'll put placeholders for all the different content that we plan to produce. That will identify sort of windows where we have free, where we can test something new, or that will allow us to react in the moment to something and say, okay, we're going to, you know, last night, Kemba scored 50 points, so we're going to capitalize on that and produce a bunch of content today, but we know that these other five things that were placeholders on the calendar need to be moved elsewhere. So it really allows us to make sure nothing falls through the cracks, especially when there's a corporate partner involved, um, and really you know, be prepared and have the staff available to turn things around quickly when a big moment happens. How much are you able to have windows in there 
there where you can experiment with content too. I mean, I, there's a creative, it, obviously the planning is super important and to know that you're already planned out through next July is incredible. Um, I might be two or three months ahead, but that's impressive <laughs> that you're like a year. Um, the fact that, how much do you build in opportunities to just try new things and experiment and maybe try a different platform or try a different approach? How much, how much are you able to work in that way as well? Um, I would say as much as we can, but not as much as we'd like to. Um, in season, you know, we, we look at the off season as really our time to try a lot of those things. And then really as soon as the, the season starts, which for us is essentially right now heading into training camp um, at the end of the month, everything tends to be go, 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 go. And so we will try to build out pockets for those things, um, but the season happens and inevitably things come up. Um, the one thing that I think is helpful is on the corporate partnership side of things, everything we do has a goal of monetization. So we're almost forced to test new concepts because we always want to have um, a library of content available that we can sell to new corporate partners and existing partners. So it sort of forces us to be prepared and have that a la carte menu ready. And most partners are smart enough these days that they're less likely to buy into a brand new concept that has no data to support the performance. Um, they're more likely to take something that we've done a proof of concept. So we are forced to build that stuff in so that when a partner comes to us and says, I'm looking for content that fits these categories or this criteria, then we have something that we've tested even even if it's just been once or twice, that is a proven concept that we can offer to them. Yeah, it's much easier to make an argument for something if you have a proven data set behind it. So what about platforms? Because there's always seems to be some new social media platform, some new social media concept, some new distribution channel, some new promotion method. How much do you, um, like if a new platform comes on or a new uh, feature within a platform, how much do you even venture into those? Like, like go back to when Snapchat first started. Do you, is that something you right away are like, okay, this is something we need to commit efforts to? Or is that something you hold back and say, eh, let's see how this plays out for a little while we yeah we don't typically tend to be early adopters in those spaces i think one thing that we do really well is we know our brand we know who we are and and sometimes more importantly who we're not so we're a franchise that's very built on history and tradition we're not anytime soon and, and maybe never going to be that team that's the first to jump into those platforms, which we're okay with. We don't always need to be the first adopters. We are more, um, we'll tend to sit back a little bit, wait for a few other teams to do it and sort of see how they're doing navigating it. And we want to make sure that when we do get into a new platform or a new space, we're doing it to a caliber that's the quality of the Boston Celtics. Everything we do is sort of um, quality over speed. And there are some things that happen in season that we have to be reactionary. But for the most part, if it's something on a larger scale, like a new social platform, we're not necessarily rushing to be there. We would rather kind of take a step back, get our strategy together, and make sure that we do venture into that new area that we're doing it in the right way and in a way that represents the brand in the way that we want it to. I love that approach, not only just because I'm a Boston Celtics fan, but also because... <laughs> I'm biased, but just because, I mean, you see it so often happen nowadays where people are in such a rush that they don't think through why they're doing it. If it talks to their audience, if they even have people that are there that fit who they want to reach, like there's not a lot of thought that goes into it. So knowing that you guys take that approach makes so much sense, which dovetails into the data kind of discussion over the last decade plus. In, that you've been in the industry, there's been a greater emphasis on data-driven decision-making. And I know you have an interest and a background in the left brain, right brain side, the creative side, but also that kind of data and research side. How much does that go into your planning process? And how does it go into the planning process, data and the research? 
Yeah, it's it's so important for us. We are an organization that's very focused on data, and our department historically, I mentioned, we um, were previously called strategic marketing. And at that point, we were doing a lot of the same things that we do now, but people really saw us as the data people. Um, the analytics team here at the Celtics on the business side really started with my boss, Matt Griffin, and me years and years ago. Um, we've evolved over time. Now we have a true analytics group to do those things, but still everything we do is grounded in data. So it's, you know, we're thinking about who's the audience that we're trying to reach with this particular piece of content and what platforms is that audience on and what's the best time to reach that audience on those platforms. Um, and it's not always the easiest conversation to have. You have the people who are in the camp of, well, if the data doesn't prove it, then we're not doing it. Um, and then you have the people that say, I don't care if you give me all the data in the world, I know that my gut feeling is right. So every day is just trying to balance those two sides of the argument. And um, I think the real sweet spot is to say, okay, here's what the data is telling us. We can be pretty confident in X, Y, Z, but then that leaves us a little bit of room to sort of trust our gut when it comes to this. So, for example, um, you know, we might post something across several platforms and the data is telling us that, um, you know, it's the content is best suited for Instagram um, and not so much for Facebook. But we might decide that, oh, we're going to put that content on Facebook anyway because, we know that the Facebook audience just is craving more content in general and it doesn't have to be the perfect thing. So it's, um, it's trying to figure out how much you trust the data and how much you trust just what you know from being a fan and being a consumer yourself um, and when the data can only get you so far. I love that balance of trying to figure out that, that perfect kind of middle spot of like gut instinct and knowing what feels right versus also the data supporting it. It seems like that's the rather than being on one black and white side of it to kind of find that gray area in the middle is generally where you're going to find the most success. Is that part that data understanding, the analysis and the, the ability to crunch numbers and do the research and, and understand ROI and all those different things? Is that one of the the uh, is it a huge skill that somebody that wants to work in marketing for a pro team should really focus in on? And is that something that's somewhat underserved in the market? I think so. I think it's changing quickly. Um, I think that data and analytics is probably like the fastest growing, I would say, from what I see, the fastest growing area of the sports business, both on the team operations side and the business side. Whether that's sort of a must-have for any given entry-level position, I think is changing too. There are certainly when we hire someone for an entry-level position, it typically tends to be a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades. So we want that person to have at least a basic understanding of the data behind things. Um, but we're looking more and more for that creative skill set too. So I think kids who are coming out of school now and are younger have just grown up with that creative side of things. They just naturally have always been around photo editing and video editing and that sort of thing. Um, and so I think a lot of people have to work a little bit harder on the analytics side of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're considering a, a career in sports, then really to develop that understanding of the data is the way that you'll really set yourself apart from other candidates for a lot of jobs. When you work for such an iconic brand like the Boston Celtics, I often wonder if, is it a blessing to have this global brand that everybody knows from a marketing perspective, of course, is it a, is it a blessing to have that brand that's so recognizable and everybody's familiar with, or does it kind of make it a challenge to find new areas of growth or like you almost not stagnate, but like you've kind of almost reached your, your, your peak market. Like, is there, is there, is there something in there or is it just like always a good thing to have such a big brand? It's, it's definitely always a good thing. Um, 
I think there's still a lot of growth opportunity for us in what we call our opportunity audiences. So, um, you know, we're historically very traditional and we play it safe in a lot of ways. So over the past few years, we've tried to be a little bit younger and fresher and connect with that young audience who is not necessarily loyal to a team anymore and is more about the superstar players and watching all the highlights from across the league. Um, and then, you know, there are some other big opportunity areas for us too, like international. The, the NBA has started to relax some of the rules about marketing to fans outside of our direct marketing radius. Um, and so there's always going to be opportunities for us to grow. And I think the brand is what we always lean on. And the real challenges come from trying to um, trying to do things that are new and different, but also stay true to what that brand is about at, at its core. More than ever, players and elite athletes in all the major leagues are, are taking on their own content channel, right? They're doing their own social media channels. They're doing their own articles. They're writing their own, doing their own videos and whatever it may be, and they're owning their own content. But it's still important for the teams to have that behind the scenes looks and all those fun things that go on that you have access to that others don't. What's it like working with the players and having them play a role in the content? Yeah, it's become trickier, definitely. Um, We encourage players to post on their own and and create their own content and we amplify that whenever we feel like it's appropriate but there are still times where we're asking them for exclusive access in different scenarios and it really just depends on I would say the player but even more so the overall makeup of the team so um, you know a lot of times the the attitude of the team is dictated by some of the top players and we've been really really lucky here over my this will be my 13th season um, that we've had veteran players who are really open and understand but our big message um, I get a chance to address the team every year at what we call a business of basketball meeting and my message to them is always like anything that my team is asking of you the goal is to improve your brand and build your brand and we want to make every single one of you a fan favorite Um, and so I think if you can get that message across most of the time the players are pretty willing to help We're we're sensitive to their schedules. I mean, their schedules are grueling and a lot of times they, you know, they've been on the road for weeks and they've been away from their family. And the last thing they want to do is spend an hour after practice shooting something um, that we're going to put out on our owned channels. Um, But I think if you can explain to them the importance of it, of growing the Celtics brand, but also growing their personal brand, then most of them are smart enough and they understand the business side of things enough that they're willing to do it. And um, they they appreciate the fans in New England. So they just want to give the fans what they're really looking for, I think. That's really cool to kind of frame their expectations and let them know like this is this is to benefit you. This is to build your personal brand. And once you do that, it makes it, it kind of opens up some doors, I'd imagine. So, yeah, and then they don't feel like they're doing us a favor. It's like this should right. be mutually beneficial. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about your team a little bit. You're the VP of content strategy and marketing, which means you definitely have people underneath you. It's not just you. Um, how does your crew? How does your crew and your team break down? What type of rules do you manage, and what's that like? Yeah, we're um, we're very small. Um, the Celtics overall have a really small front office compared to other NBA teams, um, but we're super efficient. So on the marketing side of things, I have um, two full-time employees now, and we're looking to hire two more. So we'll have a director who will kind of handle the day-to-day for that side of the business. We have... Um, one person who handles our email marketing and paid advertising and another who handles our social distribution almost exclusively on her own, which is crazy. So we're trying to get wow. an entry level to, to primarily help her out on the social and also to pitch in on the email marketing. Um, and then on the content side of things, we have 
three writers slash on-camera talent who also kind of pitch in with the overall editorial strategy. And then we have a video production group of about six, um, and each one in that group does videography, editing, and producing. So they're all kind of, you know, jack-of-all-trades and can do it all. Um, and it's really shared responsibility across all of those groups on the strategy side of things. So we'll have a couple different meetings weekly where we talk about editorial calendar and production schedule and things like that. Um, and then outside of my direct reports, we also have a team of two developers who handle website, new technology app, everything like that. And then we have um, two in our creative group who also roll up to our CMO, who we work really closely with, that do all the production of all non-video content. So one of the, I found in my career, one of the hardest things and transitions I had to make was going from being an individual contributor where I was a producer and I was producing shows and I, at the end of the day I went home and I didn't have to worry about anything else um, and to changing over to management where then all of a sudden I had staff underneath me and I had uh, budgets to build and I had plans to build out for spring training six months from now or whatever it may be like you talk about. Um, how would you define your style as a leader and how did you learn how to manage and take this change going from your various positions where you had to start leading people? Sure. It's a great question. I think my style of leadership is to hire people that are smarter than I am in many different areas and trust that they know what they're doing. Um, I, you know, I try to give as much guidance as I can, but I, unlike you, have never done any other production myself. I never um, was, you know, actually producing creative. I um, have not done any video production personally. I've learned as much as I can so I at least can speak their language and understand, you know, what goes into a day of production, that sort of thing. Um, but really, I'm, I'm finding people who know what they're doing in those areas and asking them to keep me up to speed as much as I need to be to keep a pulse on things, but really trusting them to kind of do their thing. And um, where I come into play is when decisions need to be made. So if two groups are disagreeing about something or if we can't make a, a call between one piece of music or another or something like that, then that's where I step in. Um, and really just getting my team the tools that they need to do what they need to do. So making sure that our analytics group is always keyed into what we have going on and they're providing feedback and making sure that we're working constantly with our corporate partnerships group to know what sponsors are looking for so we can get that content sold. Um, and in terms of, you know, how I developed my leadership style, really it's just been through learning from people who have managed me. Um, I would say the number one thing, I've been incredibly lucky here at the Celtics. I've had three direct managers um, and then have always rolled up to our CMO. And of all those people that I've reported to, I could tell you at any given time, if you ask them their top priorities, my success would always be a top priority for them. And I think that's really rare, um, and it's something that I've tried to keep in mind. It's growing my employees should always be a top priority for me because the better that they do, the better that I look. And it's sort of cyclical. It's, it's growing them and making sure that they're happy and fulfilled in their roles, but also it's just looking good on our department overall. And it's, I think that is what leads to motivated employees is, is having them be in a place where they feel empowered and they feel like they're you know, producing things that they're proud of. I love this because I remember going and having this exact conversation with my boss and saying like, okay, what are your skills for managing? Like, what is your approach? What is your style? Whatever. And he said the exact same thing to me. He said, hire people that are smarter than you in the areas where you're weak and then be focused on building them up and taking roadblocks away from them. And, and if you do that, you're going to build, build a team that wants to listen to you and be a part of a, a group together. So I think it's great that you're, you're, you're obviously doing that with the Celtics and it's, and it's working out incredibly well for you. 
Let's finish. Most up. days, yeah. Trust me, there are still days when my employees want to kill me. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think the, the most important thing that I can convey to them is that their success is so important to me and that we're all sort of working toward the same goal. So even though it might not feel like it on a day-to-day basis, we all have our own priorities. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our goals here are always winning the next championship and delivering the best experience to fans that we can. And so if we can all kind of come back to that and remember that, um, I think that, you know, that sets the tone for our culture more than anything else. That's funny. My goal is the Celtics winning another championship, too. Um, <laughs> we're aligned. We're, we're totally aligned. Um, we'll finish up with this. Content is so much more than just social media posts, as we've explained in this entire interview. There's so much planning and data and just research and, and leadership and, and all these things, skills that come into it, cross-functional skills. For those in the audience who want to work in content or work in marketing or work in both, what do you think they should be focusing on in college? Are there certain uh, skills or roles or experiences they should do now to start preparing themselves to fill these roles later on? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, and there are so many things that I wish I had done more of when I was in school and when I Me had too. time to dedicate to it. Um, you know, I would say the most important thing always to me if you're looking to a career in any sort of communications field is um, communication skills, right? You should be able to write really well. You should know how to write an email with using proper grammar and spelling and everything like that. That's still so important, and it's been lost a lot. Yes. Um, and you should really know how to express yourself well verbally. You should have the confidence, start building that up now, be able to speak to a room full of people. Um, and then beyond that, I think as far as technical skills, I'm not sure it necessarily matters exactly what that is, but I think if, um, if you can build up a little bit of skill in several different areas so that you at least have a starting point, that is something that's really attractive to me because most of what you're going to do within sports is learning on the job. So things like ticketing systems or social media distribution platforms, all the technology is, is going to be different at every team and you can learn that as you go. But being able to do a little bit of HTML and a little bit of Photoshop editing and a little bit of video editing, I think that's the sort of thing that um, gets harder to learn as you get older. And if you have a basic understanding, then you have a huge leg up. Like for me to try and really learn something like Adobe Illustrator at this point in my career is hard if I don't have that foundation. Um, those programs are not always intuitive. And so if you can develop when you're first starting your career a, a base knowledge in a lot of different areas, then I think it just makes it that much easier to pick up when you're in that full-time role and you know exactly where your focus needs to be. Kara, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I know the season is about to start. You've got players over at the FIBA World Cup. There's so much going on for you right now, and yet you still carved out a little bit of time to help out our audience. So I really just wanted to say thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a blast and uh, hope that we get you that championship sooner rather than later. I know it's on my, uh, my bucket list. I need number. I need another one because <laughs> I'm a selfish. <laughs> so my, my first year here with the team was 0708 when we won. So yeah. ever since then, I've been chasing that next ring. I am a selfish Boston fan and enough is never enough. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kara. Thank you. Big thanks to Kara Walker. I find it fascinating the level of planning and strategy and data and research that goes into content preparation for a pro team. I wasn't kidding when I say like I plan things two or three months in advance and that I think that's really good. She's like a year ahead. They're built out through July of next year. It's so crazy impressive and takes so much thought and planning and process. I love it. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. Remember to join our private Facebook group. Just search for the Work in Sports podcast on Facebook. Answer a few quick questions. The benefits to you are vast. Many of our guests are in that group and they answer your career focused questions. I'm in there all the time. I'm there to handle your questions. Other people trying to get into the industry, share their experiences 
posting where job opportunities are, wherever it may be. It's a great group to be a part of. I also like you to subscribe. This is an order. I'd like you to subscribe to the podcast. I would like you to review us wherever you listen and say good things. And I'd like you to share it with 30 friends by next episode. Thank you so much for doing so. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Time to get back to work.